Good morning. I bring greetings to you from Restoration Church in Northwest D.C. So thank you, brother, for praying for us. And uh, I know that you guys, that's not the first time you prayed just because I showed up. So thank you for the ways that you pray for us uh, throughout the years. Uh, it was the service. The, I was actually here when this church formed, covenanted together those many years ago, 14, 15 years ago. I was sitting, it wasn't in this building at that point, but over there. And we had not yet covenanted together as a church. So I basically took everything that y'all did and we did the exact same thing. So thank you for even teaching us over the years. Your pastor has been such an encouragement to me and to our church. And it is a travesty that it has taken this long to get him to preach to our church. So uh, you'll have to deal with me. Uh, and I'm really glad that they get to hear from our brother. I just wish that I could be there to hear it. But, uh, and he came to our covenanting service on March the 28th, 2010. Uh, and he was sitting in the same building that was now given to us by the Lord's providence. We didn't know that back in 2010. And he sat in that room, and of course there he is. The same building, he preached at that building before he became a pastor here. Anyway, so many connections. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to preach to you today, this morning. So let me just pray for us briefly again to prepare our hearts. Uh, we're gonna be looking at 2 Timothy chapter four, which is on page 996 of your pew Bibles, 996. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. You are king, and so may we abide in your word, that we might bear much fruit. And Lord, particularly, we pray this morning that we would set our gaze on the hope of heaven, that we might be engaged in the work of proclaiming the gospel here in the country of earth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, beloved, about four years ago, thereabouts, our Restoration Church was kind enough to grant me and my family a sabbatical. And uh, I took about two months away from the work of the church in order to be focused on prayer and on rest and on study. And in my study and in my time of prayer, I focused on one thing. I focused on the New Testament's use of the hope of heaven. So not heaven itself, just the New Testament's use of the hope of heaven. And what I did was, was I read every day, I'd read two or three chapters in the New Testament. I'd read a couple of chapters, and every day I would circle every verse that was counseling the hope of heaven in order to motivate present obedience. That's what I did. Every day, two, three chapters, circle the verse. Every time I saw the New Testament in some ways counseling the hope of heaven in order to motivate present obedience. And when I was finished, by the time I got through, not including the book of Revelation, because I figured that would skew the numbers, uh, I found a total of 387 verses that were doing that. A lot. A lot. That's more than verses on hell, more verses than marriage. And so with just under 8,000 verses in the New Testament, that includes Revelation, that 387 verses makes up almost 5% of the New Testament. Almost 5%. So even if I'm half wrong or half right, it's still an amazing number, right? 5% of the verses of the New Testament are using the future hope of heaven in order to motivate obedience in the present. Future glory motivating present obedience. And yet I wonder how much of our teaching, how much of our preaching and singing and praying reflects this emphasis. 
In fact, in a recent journal, one brother took the time to compare the most commonly sung hymns between 1737 to 1960, that little group, he compared 1737 to 1960, those hymns, and he compared them to the hymns of 2000 to 2015. And guess what he found? According to the author, the one striking difference between those two periods was this, that in previous eras, heaven was sung about frequently. But in the modern era, the singing about heaven had, quote, all but disappeared. And we think about it, right, even in our own lives. How many books have we read on heaven? How many times have we had conversations meaningfully about heaven? How many times in our counseling sessions have we counseled heaven? How many times have we prayed heaven? And I trust that for many of you, that's happened quite a number of times. But I fear that for many of us, it's hardly talked about at all, thought about at all, prayed about at all, sung about much at all. And so the question that we ask this morning is, is our Christianity reflecting its great destiny, its great hope? Are we, as the citizens of heaven, hoping in our home? Or are we building up treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy? And so here's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to share with you a little bit of fruit of that study that I had on that sabbatical. And in particular, I want to help us see what the hope of this world does if you hope in this world, I want you to see what it does in comparison to those that hope in the world to come. Two kind of main points. That's what we're going to do. Two main points. Love or hope in this present world distracts or destroys the work of missions and evangelism. That's point one. Point two, love or hope in the world to come fuels the work of missions and evangelism. That's what we'll see. And so the call for us is going to be to hope in heaven in order to be compelled to the work of missions Evangelism. And we'll do that work from 2 Timothy 4. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 later, but I'll get there when I get there. So take a look at 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verse 9. This is the end of Paul's letter to Timothy. He's sitting imprisoned. Here are his words. The word of the Lord. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas... In love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, point one here, love for this present world distracts and destroys mission. We read that line there in verse 10 about Demas with great perplexion and great sadness, don't we? Because Demas is no stranger to the work of missions. 
We know from Colossians 4.14 and Philippians 1.24 that he was a traveling companion of Paul's as he was out spreading the gospel. And of course, Paul, you may recall, was a bit of a picky guy when it came to choosing traveling companions, wasn't he? Right? We have that instance of Paul and Barnabas disagreeing on Mark, coming along with him on their missionary journey back in Acts chapter 15. And that disagreement about whether or not to take Mark was so sharp that Paul and Barnabas split up. Mark going with Barnabas and away from Paul, which makes that account there at the end of Paul's life in verse 11 so sweet, isn't it? Because it says there of, in verse 11 that Mark is useful to him. But nevertheless, that should tell us something about Demas, right? He was, he was probably no slouch on the mission field. He was probably useful at some point in missions. Maybe he was like that guy in the church that always go on the mission trips, that always is showing up for Tuesday night visitation, going door to door. Maybe that was Demas. Always going on the short-term mission trips. And yet, what do we learn of Demas in verse 10? That he abandons the mission out of love for this present world. Paul just has Luke with him. Demas has left him because of a love for this present world. Demas got distracted by the love of this present world. A love for the comfort, a love for the comforts of the, of the here and now got him off the mission of making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. His affection, Demas' affection for today jeopardized his hope for tomorrow. Demas' love for this world derailed him from the hope of a better world. And we wonder why. Why did Demas leave? Well, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe he was tired of traveling, tired of moving every couple of years or every couple of months. Maybe he wanted to establish a home back there in Thessalonica, get a wife, get some kids, have a nice backyard, have a you know, Costco membership and go to the gladiator ring every once in a while. We don't know. We don't know. It could be. Maybe he was tired of the constant threats on his life, Demas. We're going to see in a moment that Paul was rescued from a lion's mouth. Now, whether or not that is metaphorical or literal, we don't know. But either way, right, he was bad. And Demas was used to bad. He had to be. Paul's life was in constant threat of being taken. So you didn't have to convince Demas that the gospel was a rock of offense. He knew it. Demas lived it. And maybe he was tired of it. So maybe he wanted to get back to a place that wouldn't ask so much of him. Maybe he wanted to... So have some immediate comforts because he got tired of deferring them to heaven. Jesus and his kingdom became much less attractive than Demas and his own kingdom. And friends, this is a struggle for us too, isn't it? Loving this present world, getting off mission. We love this present world and oftentimes our love for the world to come is faint. And again, why is our love for the heavenly world faint? Well, oftentimes it's because I think we love this world so much. The same world that Paul calls in Ephesians, quote, this present darkness. How many of us have followed or are tempted to follow Demas to Thessalonica? Maybe even rationalizing our lack of mission today by, remember, by remembering some time of use, usefulness in time past. Do we not remember the words of the Apostle John that told us that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him? If all of us were being honest, I think most of us would agree, oftentimes, though this world is full of hard things, there's a lot of times in which we like this world. I know I do. I don't like the thought of not being married to my wife. Right? I know it's going to be better, whatever it is. 
I enjoy watching, you know, football and, you know, hanging out with my friends in this world. And of course, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. In fact, many of them are good. But oftentimes those things compete for my deepest affections. Brothers and sisters, Demas' life teaches us that we have to keep a vigilant eye upon our hearts. We have to be careful to notice when our hearts long to drink in the delight of some vacation, some material possession, some experience, more than they long to be on that forever vacation in the New Jerusalem. It could be that those competing affections are diminishing your courage for gospel ministry. And so, beloved, don't abandon the mission. Don't leave Paul and Luke alone in chains. Don't leave your brothers and sisters alone to do the work of spreading the gospel. Don't leave the difficult pathway of peace in order to take up the easy highway to hell. Be reminded that there is a better home than this present world. As Jesus said, believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, uh, if it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Christian, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And beloved, isn't that where you want to be? With him? In those rooms? His presence? He's the captain of love. Our Lord, our hope, our Savior. Don't you want to be with Him? And for you, friend, that are not following Christ, not surrendered your life to Jesus, friend, are you under the impression that there is something in this present world that will deliver you into unending satisfaction? Do you think that's true? That maybe if you just find the right job, the right person, everything is going to be just perfectly bliss, then you'll have heaven on earth? Well, friend, I would ask you, if that's you, do you know anyone that has gotten that ever. Not just for a week, not for a year, but for their entirety of their lives. Found something of heaven on earth. It was so sweet and so perfect that they never had any other needs. No. A job, a relationship, a bank account. Friends, these things will never complete you. God made you for himself, and until you are conformed to him, you will never know the true love that you were made to pour. Don't follow Demas. Don't follow demons. Repent of your sins. Turn from them. Turn from the ways you've loved this world and turn to Christ. And I will tell you, it will be a hard life, but you'll be glad when you get home. Turn from sin. Follow Christ. Christ is the only one that has defeated death. He's the only one that can offer you forever. He's the only one that is the source of life. Turn away from the lies of this world. Follow the truth of him who is a king of a better one. Don't follow Demas. And a love for this present world. Such a love, friend, will never satisfy you. And likewise, Christian, do not follow Demas. The love of this world is a lie. It makes you promises that it cannot keep. It cannot give you life, but it will only ultimately give you death. And so, beloved, don't make shipwreck of your faith by having faith of a love in this present world. And we know as Evidenced by demons, it is not uncommon, as we see, for the church to see people walk away from the faith. Their lives proved that they never actually loved the Lord. Their lives proved that their lives were rooted in a different kind of soil, not the gospel soil. So, beloved, there is a love, there is a hope that is stronger than anything this world tries to offer you because the hope of heaven is indestructible. Don't follow Demas, but follow 
Jesus. Love for this present world distracts or destroys mission. And secondly, hope of heaven births confidence and perseverance in the work of missions and evangelism. Hope, and, hope of heaven births confidence and perseverance in the work of missions and evangelism. Take a look at verse 14. You'll see there, there's this guy by the name of Alexander who apparently had a love for this present world as well as he did great harm to Paul. Possibly contributing to Demas' decision to leave. But then look at verse 16. Paul shares the story of a particular defense that led to no one standing by him. Living on mission for God, friends, is sometimes a lonely place to be. That's why we need confidence and courage for perseverance in the mission, which is why we need strength. And that's exactly what the Lord gave Paul. Take a look at verse 17. He says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Then the Lord promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And then the Lord promised here that he strengthened. We see that he strengthened Paul. And why did he strengthen Paul? Why does Jesus promise to be with us? Why did the Lord strengthen Paul? Look at verse 17. There it is. So that, circle that, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. There's the message. There's the work of evangelism and missions. I said that Demas deviated from the mission because of a love for this present world. And here we see Paul on mission. And what is that mission? Well, the mission is to fully proclaim the message, fully proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Wherein the King of kings and Lord of lords came to the earth in order to purchase our redemption that we might take up life with him in eternity. Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the only one that never sinned, the sinless Savior, fully God, living a sinless life on the earth, obeying all of God's commands, the only one that ever has, going to offer his life as a sacrifice for sinners like me and you. His body, his blood broken in order to assuage, to satisfy, to propitiate the wrath of God for our sin, for all of the ways that we do love the present world. Jesus purchasing those and his body, his blood is the ransom, is the payment for all those that believe. His resurrection proves right, that that payment was received. That there really is hope in heaven. Eternal life. That's the message that Paul is spreading, traveling the world to call people into. So friend, turn to sin. Turn to Christ. Turn away from sin. Turn to Jesus. Find that life with Him. Eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Paul strengthened in that message. Here I am this morning. I pray strengthened to preach it to you. That you would believe. And keep going to fully proclaim the message yourself. Look at verse 18. Here's his appeal to heaven. Try to think about the context, guys, of all that's going on. Right? These people leaving him. Lion's mouths coming on him. All these different terrible things. He's alone. He's sitting in a prison. He's cold, apparently. What's his hope to keep doing this? Most people just leave. But not Paul. And we get our answer there. What's the anchor to keep fully proclaiming the gospel? Verse 18, right at the end of his letter. The hope is heaven. Look at it. The Lord will, there's future, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So friends, what's the, what's the difference between Paul and Demas? Why is Paul able to endure suffering while Demas doesn't? Well, Paul was strengthened by the Lord. We learned that. That's critical. 
The Lord will hold Paul fast to the end. That's ultimate. But what was Paul doing? Those things describe what the Lord is doing. What's Paul doing? Where is Paul looking to overcome his love for the present world and endure such suffering so that the gospel would be fully proclaimed? What is he thinking about to give him courage to keep going and herald the gospel? Again, verse 18. Paul believed the Lord would rescue him from every evil deed and bring him safely into the heavenly kingdom. That's what he's thinking about. That's his hope. Paul was able to be tenacious for gospel ministry because of a future hope. The hope of Christ answering every evil deed in his return where he will finally throw God's enemies into the lake of fire forever. Justice will be served. And also where Paul will be safely brought to the shores of the Jordan River. Where he will walk into the heavenly kingdom and suffer no more. Where he will finally get to be with Christ and see him face to face. Of course, at this point, when you're meditating on these things, it's only natural that it leads you into praise, right? To to him be the glory forever and ever. Fascinating study, isn't it? Paul is convinced back in verse 6, he's going to die for the gospel. And yet he also believes he's going to be rescued and brought safely home to heaven. And beloved, this is the hope not only for Paul, this is your hope. This is hope for all of us that are in Christ. This promise of heaven is not just unique to Paul. It's secured by the blood of Christ for all of us that trust him. Though we perish, yet we shall live. Paul had a greater love for the heaven than he did this present world. And that promise drove him to be courageous for the sake of fully proclaiming the gospel. And so this is the difference between Paul and Demas. Demas wanted to be safe now. Paul wanted to be safe later. Demas wanted to make this heaven. Paul wanted to be where Christ would make heaven. Paul trusted that a better day was coming. And that was the body armor that gave him confidence to step into the arena of the world and fully proclaim the gospel. And likewise, that hope was the thing that he kept his eye on so that he wouldn't depart from the mission and try to build a a life for himself in this world. Future hope. Let me show you this. And one other place. Again, I I have 378 places I could show you in the New Testament alone. By the way, I would just argue that the Old Testament is doing this. I can keep going here. But let me just show you one other place where we see this future glory of heaven motivating the work of missions in the here and now. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. That's going to be back to the left in your Bibles, page 962. Page 962. You'll see that in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to see the exact same thing. I'm going to be in verse 58. So Paul, throughout uh, chapter 15, he's described in verse chapter 15 about all the, the ways in which the, we are going to be resurrected bodily. That's what he's meditating on in chapter 15. Our bodies will be resurrected. Our spirit will take on the flesh of our bodies. And then we will reign and rule with Christ in the heavenly kingdom. That's what he's talking about in chapter 15. And listen to his conclusion. Future bodily resurrection. Here's his conclusion. Verse 58. Therefore... Right? In light, in other words, of the future resurrection, in light of the coming of heaven. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Did you hear it? See what he did? Just like we see in 2 Timothy and 300 plus other places in the New Testament, the hope of what is to come. 
The hope of heaven gives him supreme confidence to hold the line. And not just hold the line, but to advance. Keeps him on the mission. In other words, beloved, what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? And the work of spreading the gospel. What are they going to do? Kill us? We get to be with God. Absence of the body, presence with the Lord. They don't kill us. They ridicule us. They mock us. They fire us from our jobs. Paul says your labor is not in vain. We're untouchable in that way. Wasn't it Jesus who said, Blessed are you who are persecuted for my namesake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see what this hope of heaven does for us, beloved. Since death has been defeated in the resurrection, since we have a better city, a heavenly city that is promised to us, then what do we have to lose? We we can step onto the battlefields of this world and love our neighbor without being held back by our greatest fears. Think about that fear that you have right now. Get in your mind by the ways in which you don't want to share the gospel with your neighbor. You don't have to worry about that thing because even if it comes to fruition, you get heaven. The price of eternal joy. We can advance towards our neighbors knowing that no matter what may come, we are one step closer to heaven where we will enter our heavenly rest. And so with this kind of confidence, we can love so generously, so radically, so courageously that those who receive that love will know that our citizenship is not here. They will know in some ways that we are not from here in that sense, that we are going somewhere else. They will smell our clothes and see the glimmer in our eyes and say, where have you been? And they will say, where are you going? And we will respond in faith and call them to that new Jerusalem by pointing them to Jesus. With hearts full of the love of God, we can say with a smile, I've seen heaven. I've seen love. I've seen just a flicker of what this world will be like in the life of the church. I saw love on a bloody cross. I saw heaven in an empty tomb where death no longer reigns, where every tear is wiped away and there will be no darkness but only joy. We will say that to our neighbors and when they hear us say that, some will respond by asking us how they can come to see it too. And then there we speak Christ again. Open our lives, open our mouths and boldly declare of a salvation so great. And so beloved, let's dig in, let's preach, let's pray, let's sing heaven so that our hearts will long to get home and see the king and the kingdom and enjoy him forever. Think heaven, pray heaven, read heaven. And the more that we do that, the more our spines will be filled with steel and our faces will be like flint. We will speak and love, call people to Christ. And so don't believe the lie, beloved, that you can be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. That's a foolish statement if ever I've heard one. Because if that's true, then Jesus and Paul didn't really accomplish much. Don't believe it. And this hope of heaven motivating present obedience, beloved, this was the refrain of the early church and somewhere along the way we lost it. We lost it because we have become more like Demas than we would all like to admit. We are far too prone to love this present world more than the world to come. And in the process, I think we've lost, some of us have lost that confidence and courage for missions and evangelism. But beloved, it was not that way from the beginning. Think of Abraham, was able to hold a knife over his son. Why? Because he believed that he would raise from the dead. 
By faith, we learn, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God and to follow Demas down to Thessalonica and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of the world. He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to the, y'all know it, the reward. He was looking to the reward. What gave Stephen the courage to take stone after stone to his face and die? Was it not his gaze into the throne room of heaven? Behold, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then Paul again to the church at Philippi. He tells them that the enemies of the cross have an end of destruction because their minds are set on earthly things. But he transitions, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will, future, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We learn of Paul again in Colossians 3. And motivating them to live a holy life before others, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We can think about Peter's words to the brothers and sisters who suffered under persecution. When he said, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that is, heaven's our home, so we're sojourners, exiles here. To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when? On the day of visitation. Future glory. And why would God even give us the book of Revelation? But to encourage us. That's what me and Mike have been studying all week. To be learning about this. The book of Revelation is there to learn about all this future judgment and some judgment that has come. But the future hope of getting to behold God face to face. To keep going in the work of persecution while we're being persecuted. But of course, how could we forget Jesus? How did he keep going? Especially with the mission that was given him. What was his motivation to even secure salvation for anyone? What was his motive in seeking the salvation of the lost? What, was, what made him to endure the tribulation of Gethsemane? We know, right? Hebrews 12. For the joy sat where? Before him. He endured the cross. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is replete with calls to hope in heaven so that you can faithfully engage in the mission today. Too often we don't take the time to see those passages, I fear, because again, too many of us are tempted to follow Demas and leave Luke and Paul alone in work. Beloved, we're sojourners. We're exiles. This is not home. You know that, but sometimes you don't know that. We're going home. And so lay up your, for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more that we do that, I believe, the more courage you and I are going to have to lean into the mission of God and fully proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. And we do that. We build that hope. We gain that courage and that perseverance. The more that we sing about heaven, the more that we pray heaven, the more that we read about heaven from the word, the more that we teach about heaven's realities by then meditating on the joys of heaven, by considering the great sight of heaven, which is Christ. The more that we think there, the more our treasure will be built there. And as our citizenship digs deeper, deeper into our identities, we will not waver, but we will stay on the work of missions, supporting those that do the same. And we will say with Paul, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me, bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom as I go about the work of fully proclaiming his gospel. So beloved church, Arlington Baptist Church, Christ is coming.
He is coming and he is bringing with him justice that will roll. He is also bringing with him a world restored where the air will be sweeter than honey and the sky will never know a shade of gray and every tear will be wiped away and death will be dead. That day is coming. It's already secured in Christ. We will finally see the one of whom our soul loves. That day is coming. It's as real as that person sitting next to you right now. Trust that he will do it. Ask God to help you long for it. And then, beloved, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in the work, knowing your labor is not in vain. A day will come and we will gather around in that new Jerusalem and we will tell stories of how this day that we're sitting in, we'll talk about this, guys. Y'all come find me 10,000 years from now. We will talk about this day and we will remind each other it was worth it all. This moment was worth it all. Press in. Trust Christ. Hold fast to the hope of heaven. Because the love or hope of this world distracts and destroys mission. But a love or a hope in heaven brings confidence and perseverance in the work of evangelism and missions. So let's pray now that God would birth that hope in us all in one. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we are like Demas. Loosen our hold of this world and strengthen our hope in the one to come. Most of all, help us to long to be with Jesus, that where he is there we might be with him also. May that future reward May we be like Moses in that way, looking to our reward. And in the work, may we press in and love our neighbors and love the nations and fully proclaim the gospel. And no matter what may come to us, we can be sure that we'll be home. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.